I'd like to welcome everyone to today's episode of Truth, the reality of the headline. Today we have a very special guest. We have Amanda Dozanti. She had seven years law enforcement. She was a deputy sheriff. She had five years as a uh, criminal court victim advocate. She had two years undercover internet uh, investigations just at 19 years old. That's impressive, by the way. She's the vice president of her academy class at only 20 years old. She has a master's degree, magna cum laude, in criminology and victimology. And, you know, through the course of her time in law enforcement as a sheriff, as a victim advocate, you know, different things that she was exposed to and things like that, she just felt the passion to, you know, create the Lifesaver Academy, Lifesaver Wellness, you know, so that all first responders know that it's okay to say it's not okay. You know, some of them experience some of the greatest horrors imaginable and things like that. And a lot of them just bottle everything in and thinking that there's no one to talk to. So with no further ado, welcome Amanda, how are you doing today? I'm great, Michael. How are you? I'm blessed. Thank you so much for you know giving us your time today because there's so many individuals that need to be exposed to what it is that you do and everything that you provide for individuals and, and agencies alike. Yeah, thank you. And and I, I agree, you know, we uh, we do an awful lot of talking about humanizing the badge and uh, we want other people to um, see us as human. But so often we, we don't allow ourselves to see each other and, and ourselves as human. And so I think it's really important that we start humanizing the badge from within. Exactly. You know, and, and again, like civilian sector, you know, media plays a large role in a lot of the things going on today. And it's a shame that they don't promote individuals like yourself and expose the civilian sector to the things going on. And a lot of law enforcement agencies, you know, going in, we're trained how to deal with the physicality aspect of a situation with suspects, but we were never trained on how to process what we just witnessed. And you go from one call to the next, you know, whether it be a domestic dispute, whether the case may be dead bodies from a traffic accident, I don't care, you know, what line it's in, but that processing time isn't there for the mental side of it. You know, and after all that different compression builds up and things like that, it's, it really does need to be humanized. Right. Well, and you know, it, it's, when you look at it and you break it down into time frames, as far as uh, especially law enforcement, um, you know, we go onto a call and we might experience something horrific. And moments later, you're going on a call for a custody dispute or something that, you know, maybe doesn't provide, maybe isn't trauma rich in nature. Um, and so you don't get that recovery time immediately after. And then we go home. And the last thing we want to think about is what we've experienced on that shift. And we get up and we do it all over again the next day. And so it just compiles and compiles and we, um, we kind of get onto an autopilot and we need to allow ourselves to take a pause and, and really sit and process the things that we, that we deal with. Amazing. hundred percent. And if you want to share with the viewers, you know, whether it be the civilian sector or, you know, the first first responders alike and the families that are affected by the first responders, you know, what led, was it in the seven years of your being a uh, deputy for the sheriff's office? Was it the five years criminal uh, victim advocate for victim advocates? Or was it just your passion in life in general, things you've been through personally, or was it the witness of family, you know, fellow brothers and sisters in law enforcement? What kind of led into the passion for you creating the much, much, much needed 
Lifesaver Wellness and Academy. Well, well, first of all, thank you for saying that. Um, I truthfully it was all of it. Um, all of those things acted as little tributaries into, you know, the funnel of of creating this. It just it was a natural trajectory for my life. Um, I, I didn't know it when I entered the field at just 19 years old that I um, I had experienced some trauma. And you know, at 19, you don't think about those things, but um, I had you know my lifelong best friend. Uh, took her own life at 17. We were both 17. And that had a tremendous impact on me. Um, And of course, at 17, 18 years old, I just didn't, I just didn't process. Um, And just a couple years later, then I went into a field that is a very trauma rich environment. And um, it, it compiled. And so I I saw a lot of things very young. um, And I, in 2015, um, just months after being officer of the year, I burned out. I completely burned out. Um, and I wasn't vocal about it. I, you know, I said that I wanted to, you know, change up careers and I wanted to, uh, you know, further my education. And, you know, I came up with every excuse in the book, but the, the fact of the matter was I burned out. Um, I was, uh, deep into depression. I had PTS, Um, and after I left full-time law enforcement, I learned that I had, um, adrenal fatigue and I took about a month off before I started, uh, my victim advocate position. And during that month, I involuntarily slept about 18 hours a day, every single day, um, because my adrenal glands were just shot because of, I I had been putting myself through adrenaline dumps because I was hypervigilant. I had paranoia. I was, you know, I was just running on 10 all the time and um, real real quick i don't i don't mean to cut you off sure. i mean but oh god so was was that something that was self-caught based on your own self-reflection of self or was it family friends those around you that said that finally asked you amanda are you doing okay because the reason i'm bringing this up because this is a critical point because mm-hmm. you know whether it's us in the, the careers of being a first responder you know, how many of us are really asking our brothers and sisters, you know, yeah. are you doing okay? We don't, we just take it for granted. And sometimes we just accept their answer like, yeah, hey, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. But, you know, paying attention to that tone, their mannerisms, their body language, you know, are they really fine? So right. was it your own, like, reflection of self and like kind of realizing that, hey, come on, Amanda, wake up, snap out of this, that kind of led into that? Or was it family, friends, fellow brothers and sisters that kind of recognized that and brought it to your attention. So how did that whole transition? And I, I love how you just said PTS, you know, because there's that big thing about whether the D or the I is added to the end, because it's not really a disorder, you know, with proper treatment help and the things like what you do right now, which is amazing, you know, you do eliminate that D and that I, whether it's, you know, mm-hmm. so, so whether it's an injury or a disorder, it's really not a disorder, right. you know, but yeah. so was that self-recognized or was that family, friends, you know, fellow brothers and sisters that kind of said, Right. Um, It was a little bit of both. It was, um, you know, I I saw myself spiraling. I didn't see um, a way out of of it. And I, in just the couple of months prior to my leaving full-time law enforcement, I met my now husband. And um, through some of the conversations I had with him, he's like, you know, you don't have to stay in this job. Like, 
And I'm like, but yes, I do. You know, that's, and that's, that's the pride in us as law enforcement, as first responders. It's like, I have, I have to serve. Like if I'm not doing it, who will? Well, okay. There's thousands of others, (laughs) but, but we feel this calling. We feel this duty and we forget that we first and foremost to have a duty to ourselves. And my husband reminded me of that. Um, And he really stepped up and he was like, you know, I I can be here for you. We don't have to, um, you don't have to continue this on this path. And so, but, but I absolutely, I know that so many, when they do leave law enforcement, if they do, um, they don't say, Hey, I'm burned out. They don't say, Hey, I'm experiencing this because the stigma is still very alive. Um, and so I, I made up lots of excuses and I, I remained in the county, the, the same county that I worked in, but I moved over to the prosecutor's office. So I still saw all the same people and I had to keep face. You know, I didn't want to tell them that I was experiencing depression and um, was having, was, you know, flirting with the idea of taking my own life. Um, those are things we just don't talk about. Um, and I'm, I'm happy to say that that didn't last long. But I did have a period of my life that I, I thought, well, I just don't see another way out. Um, and real, real quick, you don't, you don't have to give specifics or you don't have to answer it in a sense, but because it's but it, it's kind of important, but it's not. So with your husband, OK, was he in law enforcement or was he just your life partner that was witnessing what you've been through? And, and the reason I ask this question, you don't, you don't have to answer and say, yes, but he's in law enforcement, was in law enforcement, whether he was first responder or not. The reason why this is a critical issue is because there are so many first responders alike. I don't care if you're a Leo, I don't care if you're a firefight, EMT, whatever the case may be. And even like in the most overlooked dispatch, you know, but that that closure and going home to your families and talking about the things that we've witnessed today, you know, some, you know, we think we're protecting them by not telling them the just the horrific incidents that we responded to today. We think we're protecting them. So we really don't have that release with somebody that can recognize and really understand because the civilian sector, you know, it's taken for granted that, hey, I can pick up the phone and have first responders respond to my home, regardless of what the incident is, okay? But, you know, my process is on, you know, the reasons why certain things happen. You know, I mean, there's gonna be the corrupt across every scale. I don't care what career it is, but that doesn't make the whole first responder or everybody's horrible. But, you know, that mindset plays on a lot of individuals and having to deal with that, that compression to where, you know, our significant others are, you know, if we don't even have a significant other, those around us, our social circle, if they don't really have that understanding of the possibilities and the horrors and everything else that really are exposed to us, they, they, they don't have that inside look. You know what I mean? To where That's why I was kind of asking if, you know, he himself was in there or had first sight of it. Yeah. So he actually is not a first responder. Um, but, you know, at, to your point, you know, people, if they're not in the first responder world, they just don't know what they don't know. And they can kind of make assumptions or, um, you know, gather information off of <laughs> cops or wherever they, you know, wherever they get their exposure. But they just don't know. They don't know and they won't until they're in it. Um, but I think truthfully having somebody there that I could talk to about it um, because up until uh, 
up until I left law enforcement, it was right around that same time that he moved in. It was, <laughs> it all happened very quickly, but um, I lived alone and I had, I had been in relationships, but I wasn't um, comfortable talking about those things because I, it was just dismissed like, well, that's what you signed up for. Well, of course it's what I signed up for, but doesn't mean I, I can't be human and process it. But see, the, the, the key to that, and thank you for being so open, because this is important too, like, and it goes into this conversation in general. So many of us, we stay closed, you know, especially when like you just, like you just, you know, share with everyone, you know, living by ourselves, you know, not having that, yeah, I mean, we may have, you know, a service dog, we may have pets and things like that, that give us that, that comfort. And, and it really does provide us comfort. Like it's a, it's a social distraction. But unless we have a conversation about what's you know stewing up here, we never find that true resolve. Yeah, I can you know have a service animal that, that keeps the comfort and you know might bring my anxiety down. But as soon as I step out my door, that same compression you know redevelops, and it's the the ways on dealing with that. So we bottle it in, and then what happens? We receive another traumatic event. So what do we do? We bottle that in. And then we, right. without have, we're social beings. Human beings are social animals. That's why the cruelest punishment next to death worldwide, not just in this country, worldwide, the cruelest punishment that they impose on inmates is solitary confinement. It's the cruelest thing that you can do to a social being. So without having that other individual to talk to and having that release, you know, and sometimes, you know, we don't have to do that. But like not having family members at home or if you are one of those first responders that do shelter family from what you've been exposed to today, you're going to have to, you know, talk to a fellow brother and sister. You're going to have to talk to someone that you are comfortable talking about it with. And that's, again, going back to the amazing things that you're doing, Amanda, to where, you know, help individuals finding because, you know, one way is not always the way. You know, Christopher Hoyer always you know, preaches on this, too, that, hey, I have a way, but it's always going to be the way for everyone. You know, and that's why, like, if individuals go to the lifesaverwellness.com site, you'll see on that site that, you know, Amanda has in place different strategies to help you along that way. Because, you know, physical exercise, physical relaxation, physical meditation, you know, also helps us with the emotional and just the, the mental compression that we may be experiencing and things like that as well, too. So... You know, thank you for sharing that. That's that's a key, key, key point on individuals smashing the stigma because, you know, like you said, you know, people making the comment that, well, Michael, that's what you signed up for. Or, hey, Amanda, mm -hmm. that's what you signed up for. Yeah, you're right, because I do want to make a difference. I do want to. And again, going back to the beginning of this conversation that, you know, in the academy, you know, even in college, you know, I got my associates in criminal justice, got my bachelor's in behavior analysis, but and you see it there, but, you know, when you're going through the academy, I know how to go, you know, disarm a sub subject. I know how to, you know, deal with certain situations, but that mental compression is never taught. That's why you, that's why some of these other individuals that I speak with, Chris Moore being one of them, you know, Christopher Hoyer, starting these programs to where, you know, agencies really need to show that shock value. That, you know, okay, mm -hmm. hey, you, you may see what you see on TV or in the, the cops and robber movies, but the mental compression, because everybody checks that box on our applications going into the academy. Oh, yeah, I can do this. I'll fire. I'll do this. I'll do this. But it's yeah. the, you don't know it until you really see it. 
You know, you can see something on TV and feel that emotional things, but until you have a body in front of you or until you see something, and, you know, I can't even imagine, you know, having the best friend at 17, you know, it's so much that built up to that. And, mm -hmm. you know, going off of that, was it your childhood going up? Did you have family that kind of influenced it? Or, you know, what? because we all have passions growing up, you know what I mean? And some things, careers, you know, with our hobbies, our interests and things like that, the like-mindedness, that's where we find our true happiness. You know, mm -hmm. it's a blessing that, you know, you went in for your seven years, you know, transitioned over to the other five years, and you've never left that career. Because I tell people all the time, it's like, look, you know, if you're not going to draw your firearm, you don't need to be a law enforcement officer. There are other ways that you can impact the communities that you live in and, you know, the nation as a whole, individuals as a whole. You know, mm -hmm. so what, what kind of, you know, you, you've shared and touched on it you know, as far as the transitions, but what actually led into, I mean, has it always been something that was in you that led into this or? Probably, um, <laughs> I can say. So I am an only child and I grew up like out in the middle of nowhere. And so we had a lot, I had a lot of like downtime. Um, my parents, divorced when I was like nine or 10. And so I was, I just became this very independent person and I, it caused me to be like a, a very deep thinker. Um, but it also caused me to isolate a little bit. And I didn't see that until years later, but, um, you know, my, <laughs> my mom always said when I was growing up, like, you need to be like a life coach or something. And I'm like, I don't even know, like, what that means. Like, well, I don't know what, and she's like, but you, you just are able to hone in on situations and, and find the best path out of it or, or through it or whatever. So it's kind of, I would say it's kind of always been in me. Um, I've always kind of been that person that people come to like to get advice or bounce ideas off of. Um, but, you know, to your point about, like isolating and, you know, I never thought about the fact that the harshest punishment is, is solitary confinement or, or to be alone. Um, and, and truly we do that to ourselves. And it's, it's a matter of trying to hide our shame because we, for some reason, the society puts shame on a mental struggle, um, where we really need to lift that veil of, of shame because, Trauma needs a witness. We cannot heal if there is nobody to witness our struggle. And I know that sounds kind of weird, like, you know, we don't need to scream it from the rooftops, but we have to find a safe space to let that pressure off. Because as you said, it builds and you don't get a chance. And we don't, you know, as law enforcement and especially um, and dispatchers, even corrections, um, it's high speed, low drag. We we have the, these intense professions. It is called, called, call, and we don't take a minute to pause. We are constantly looking for threats outside of us. We are constantly scanning, head on a swivel, but we don't take time to look at our inner landscape and say, "Hmm, what's going on here? Do do we need to level some things out?" Do I need to clear some things out? Do I need to implement some things? We don't take time to look because we're worried about serving other people, but you can't serve from an empty platter. 
there's just nothing, you know, if, if you are not solid in and of yourself, what you're providing is not going to be the impact that you're, that you desire for it to be. hundred percent. And it kind of goes in with uh, you versus you that you talk about on your website and everything else as well too, to where, you know, without having that other, you know, you're just battling yourself and it's the age old adage that, you know, love begets love and hate begets hate to where when, you know, we're exposed to the worst of the worst, you know, that, that bitterness in our minds, sometimes it's like, you know, when we try to find the good in people, the good in the world, because that, you know, we're dealing with the worst of the worst. It's like, it's hard to have, and that's why it's so important that we have that mental flush, that we have to spend that time with self, you know, because, you know, it's so easy for passions to be dissolved and to dissipate where, you know, you may still have that passion, but after seeing something in the traumatic experience and, you know, not having that resolve at the end, it's like, you know, some of the, the unspoken about, you know, traumas that, you know, some people don't think affects other individuals. It's like, you know, law enforcement officers that may be arresting subjects, but the conviction rate drops, you know, that becomes disheartening and things like that. Was it something that I did on my call? Was my report not written right? You know, what happened to where that success? Because now what happens is that if they didn't get that resolve from the prosecutor couldn't get, you know, that I'm not going to say criminal because if they get found, but anyway, that, that criminal to justice and they get put back onto the streets, that compression starts going. And it's like, the, oh, it's yeah. going, you know, really making a difference in it. it and, you know, it's the self-blame game. That's why that you versus you is so important. Why we need to speak to others, because that passion can dissipate, and we forget why we actually enlisted in the first place. You know, so it's it's vital. I'm, I'm glad you, you, know, you bring these points up, and you know, on your site as well. I'm gonna do a share screen real quick. So, so on your site here, there's the you versus you. Mm -hmm. So now on the, the how you help. So the, the coaching agency training lifesaver mobile app. So how exactly does someone, you know, kind of go to the site for like the coaching and things like that? Cause it's, it's funny that you, know, you were saying about your mom talking about being a life coach, but you know, it's, <laughs> yeah. um, you see all the time people listen to motivational uh, speeches, they watch motivational videos, but without the actual, you know, person or person, you know, it, there's that social connection where you can listen to something or hear something, you know, some individuals are audible learners, some are visual learners, but, you know, having somebody to have a dialogue with a lot of times mm -hmm. can be like the, and create that aha moment, you know? So, you know, how does each one of these kind of go hand in hand? And we'll get into the, if you want to do a step-by-step, -step, like the coaching agency, then the actual app. Sure. Because I know you will mediation. And, uh, meditate and things like that because I want to kind of get into how agencies can actually book you to come in and schedule that and we'll get into all that stuff here 
Yeah. So the coaching really is, you know, as I said, trauma needs a witness. And so I, I allow for that safe space for first responders to connect with me and say, I am struggling. There's no, I'm not a clinician. I don't claim to be. So if, if there is somebody that comes to me and says, you know, Hey, I'm really in the thick of, of deep PTS, I'm going to refer them out. And I'm going to say that is beyond my scope. But once you get to a certain level and, and you want to do coaching, I'm, I'm all for it, but we'll, we need to reassess because right now you need more than I can provide. Um, so I don't, that's just my own personal ethics. I don't pretend to be a clinician or anything like that, but you know, I allow them the safe space with somebody who has been there. Um, I think that cultural competency is huge because we have to be able to trust the people that we're talking to. And if you're in a room and, and I have absolutely nothing against traditional therapy whatsoever, um, but sometimes, but it's not for everybody and, and neither is coaching. But if you're in a room with somebody that you know just doesn't get it, like this person has never been put in a life or death situation, they've never been punched in the face, they've never had to chase down a bad guy, like you just know they don't get it you're not going to be as apt to open up to them. Um, so I really, what I do is I, we kind of dive deep into, uh, you know, what their current struggles are. And I'm really good at connecting what the core um, issue is there. And a lot of times it goes back to things that happened in our childhood or in our adolescence that we've kept that we've carried with us and something on that call triggered it or something, you know, within this job has triggered that issue. And then it just propels it forward into our adult life. Um, so I do like one on or, uh, weekly calls, uh, one-on-one. -on -one, and then I do like daily check-ins because it's so important that we, um, really implement new habits and a new mindset. And you can't do that by, by working one hour a week. So it is daily check-ins. I am, you know, I, I challenge people's um, ways of thinking and, and that's how we start to reframe our thought patterns and um, our behaviors, which ultimately then start to reframe what our life looks like. And then the agency trainings. You know, um, oh, go ahead. Now, I was about to say, because you, you made an important statement in regard to, you know, you don't mind telling someone that what you do is not, you don't feel that you're going to be best suited for them. Mm -hmm. You know, that's just like, I don't care what kind of, you know, mental health programs that even with self-help programs, whether you got AA, NA, you know, sometimes mm -hmm. a sponsor, sometimes a counselor, you know, if, you know, it's not right for them that's why some first responders they're not comfortable talking to a counselor that has never really been there and experienced that and that they can really look at you and say hey amanda i know what mm -hmm. you're going through but you know because you read the book you know, or do you know because you know you've experienced those traumas but like you yeah. stated to where you know sometimes it is that trigger from something early on you know understanding that true when why and how you know when it happened how you felt and why it like affected you the way that it did and it's why you see law enforcement officers that you know they can be in you know critical shootings they can experience you know dead bodies pulling dead babies from dumpsters but they can see a dog get hit by a car 
And that's what drives them over the edge. It's because of that early life trauma that may be developing and things like that, that are triggered here later on. Right. So that's why that dialogue you just described. You know, a lot of times we say we need help, but we limit that because we only want to talk about certain things to where the things that you don't want to talk about may be that key element that is restricting them from sharing with you so you can actually provide them that true, you know, avenue towards their, you know, mental health recovery and everything as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, I think it's important too, because I have, I have had my own struggles. So I have experienced what it's like to go through the dark and twisty forest and, and be able to come out of it. Um, and so to be a real life um, example of that, I think is helpful too, because then they see that, you know, it, it is possible. Like you don't have to live in this constant mental battle. Um, you can find peace within yourself. So. 100%. And, and so, you're kind of cutting out here. Can you hear me now? Yes. Can you hear me? Yes. So, you know, and that's, that's vital as well, too. And it's just like with the agencies and things, too, to where it's, it, it has to be done because I can't think of an agency in the nation that actually provides the mental wellness training in the academy. Don't, too late. I'm going to say too late. You know, hey, go talk to this, go talk to psych or whoever the case may be, or, you know, the, the counselors and things like that. And I know that they have the peer support, but it's the, again, without the engagement, without asking, you know, fellow brothers and sisters, if you're okay and things like that. So, you know, with, with your agency trainings, you know, how does that go into, is it something that individuals have to sign up for, or is it the, that agency training is scheduled? Because I, I think it should be a forced mandate to where <laughs> I know each agency is going to differently. I kind of lost you there. That's shock value. How does the agency training work? So the agency trainings, um, I, I have a four hour presentation and I, I do I have a couple of different presentations that I can I can split it up into. But, um, you know, what I like to focus on, because so often, you know, we know what to do when we are sent to a call of a suicidal subject or somebody who is in crisis. Um, we don't we're not taught what to do when it's in house. We're not taught. Um what to do if your, your buddy says, Hey, I'm going to go home and delete myself. Um, we, we don't get taught how to deal with that. And we don't get taught how to deal with it on a personal level either. Um, you know, when I was going through the Academy, we were taught um, to just compartmentalize. And although it can help get you through a shift because, you know, you don't want to be on shift thinking about the fight that you had with your significant other or, you know, the fact that you lost your dog or, or whatever, um, it can get you through a shift, but it's not a strategy for long-term. 
um, it's not effective because the different parts of our life cannot be mutually exclusive. <laughs> We're a whole human and we have this one life and we can't, you know, divide it into parts. So what I do is I go into these agencies and I challenge the, the thinking, I challenge the, the, the mindset that we have based on what we've been taught. And, you know, I, I work on lifting that veil of, of shame. Um, I don't force anybody to talk about anything, but I open the door and they can walk through it if they want. Um, one of the best presentations I did was, um, it was a suicide awareness and prevention training at a fire department and a fire, I think he was, he was a captain, 33 years of service on, um, came up to me afterwards and cried and said, that was one of the hardest things I've ever had to sit through, but this is so needed. And I, I didn't, I was, I was stunned because he had dealt with um, the loss of his brother uh, via suicide. And um, we have to be able to talk about these things. So I have a four hour presentation and the last hour of that is suicide awareness and prevention for yourself and for your coworkers. And, um, you know, I, it, you're, you're already trained, you already have protocol on what to do responding to a suicidal subject, but it, it's in-house. And I make it a point when I um, book these trainings that all ranks need to attend. This is not something that the lieutenants, the captains, the majors, the sheriff, the chief can opt out of. Everybody needs it. And there is to be no ego. And, you know, in, you know, I get the, I get the eye rolls and I get the, okay, whatever, because that is the culture, but we have to, I have, I at least have to, um, you know, fulfill my purpose and expose them to it. Um, most of the time, the, uh, the administration is all for it. They think, you know, this is going to be great for my guys. And then I tell them that they have to sit through it too. <laughs> and they're like, Ooh, you know, and I get it. You don't want to appear uh, weak or, or have anybody think that you might need to hear these things. Um, but here in Ohio, we actually have uh the first of its kind, the Office of Law Enforcement Recruitment and the Office of First Responder Wellness. And they have really advocated for a lot of these wellness programs and our um, overseeing uh, organization, which is called OPATA or um, the Ohio Peace Officer Training Commission, um, who oversees our training for all law enforcement um, to include continuing uh, continuing edit hours has made it possible for um, a, a, a four hour block of officer personal wellness can go towards your um, continuing education hours starting this year. So that has been a tremendous um, shift, at least here in Ohio for us. So that is an option now for, um, for my training that it can, it can go towards continuing ed hours here in Ohio. That's amazing. And you hit some key points in what you just covered, you know, because exposure in the first place is always going to be 
the greatest way to at least plant a seed to know that something exists. It's kind of like if you ask somebody, do you like bowling? No. Have you been bowling? No. It's like, well, I don't like bowling. It's like, it's insane, you know, but it's the, it's the same thing with the, that exposure has to be done. It's going, you know, with this whole smash the stigma campaign that, you know, we really need to you know drive even harder than it already is being driven because it is the, you know, as soon as, you know, we obtain our badge or whatever the case may be, we feel that we're supermen, superwomen, you know, beating our chest and hey, nothing bothers me. But another big problem and kind of like what you just said about that when you tell the, you know, our superiors that, hey, you're also, I don't care if it's Captain, Lieutenant, Sergeant, I don't, I don't care who it is, any of our superiors, even the chief, to where it's the, well, especially today, you're going into culture to where today's law enforcement, to where individuals are being promoted based on test-taking abilities, and you have some individual that's nothing but, you know, the traffic cop that is now my superior trying to tell me how I should have just handled that armed robbery, that rape, or anything else in between. It's the, it, you really don't listen. But in the same sense, because, you know, being able to recognize as an outsider, you know, kind of like the protocol with suicide awareness, you know, going through protocol, you know, we're taught how to deal with others. But what happens if that's ourselves? What happens if that's one of our, you know, fellow brothers and sisters or our loved ones or significant other? That personalization comes into that. And sometimes what would generally be protocol, it doesn't go the same because we have a higher panic rate now because we connect to who we're dealing with. You know, protocol works when, which I'm not going to say it works because you don't know the person because we all still have that empathy, apathy and everything else. But that connectivity really isn't on a personal level. So, you know, handling that protocol and going about protocol is so much easier opposed to where if it's self or if we have a fellow brother and sister that's in distress, that panic level increases. So that's why it's so vital that even our superiors must attend this because, you know, as they're having roll call and seeing, you know, because roll calls no different than, you know, you going in and doing your trainings to where you see the attentiveness of fellow brothers and sisters. I don't care what the, you know, first responder field is, but, you know, attentiveness, those that are withdrawn, the eye rolls and everything else to where, you know, those are certain those keys, you, you know, especially when you're talking about a specific topic when it comes to suicide or something, or, you know, responding to a call that may be bottling you from years ago and you start seeing mannerisms and, you know, people shifting, starting to feel uncomfortable, you know, being able to read that from a distance. And even though they may not want to talk about it, that may be an individual that, you know, we're able to pull aside at the end or that our superiors are able to recognize that in roll call or in watching, you know, change of shift or, you know, bringing the subjects in, whatever the case may be, that recognition sometimes is greatest key because you can intervene before it progresses, before they take another call and another thing stacked on top of the trauma that they're already experiencing and things like that. So, you know, I, I love the fact that you brought that up because that's key as well too, because, you know, it's the, especially in this field, oh, that doesn't apply to me. Oh yeah, right. You know what I mean? It's the, because it's, they've never been experiencing that. So people become complacent in the everyday. Well, what's going to happen when you do have that call? You've never been trained on how to, you know, reach out to somebody or what you say, because, you know, so many of us, we don't want to show that we're weak because, hey, well, my superior put me on leave. You know, well, I have to, you know, do they think that I'm not fit for duty? Well, you can't handle this, you know, do this. You know, because another friend of mine, you know, uh, Chris Hoyer, you know, he wrote that book, When That Day Comes Training for the Fight. You know, he, when he had his third, you know, officer involved shooting and his partner was killed, 
you know, after a year, you know, and his superior was like, hey, just, you should be fine by now, just deal with it. That's, you, you can't, you cannot have that anywhere. I don't care what it is, yeah. because it's all oh, just deal with it. It's like, that's not something that you could just deal with, you know, without yeah. outside help or having that proper training on, hey, what do I do when this mental compression is affecting me by what I just, you know, witnessed. Mm-hmm. So thank you again. Well, and that's, you know, we see a lot of that because everybody is very uh, quick to advocate for the mental wellness of others. And then when I, you know, even with my app, I, you know, somebody's like, oh, that's great. You know, it's going to help a lot of people. And then I offer them a free month and they're like, oh, I don't need it. I'm like, okay. You know, and it's, it's, we all advocate for that for other people, but then when it hits home, you're like, I don't know. And um, just like with you, when you mentioned that somebody said uh, to that person to just deal with it, you know, it's the way I see that is that individual that said, just deal with it, doesn't know how to deal with it themselves. And that's where we need to start training from the top down. And that's why the rank, you know, no matter what your rank is, it is so important that you understand, you know, what your people are going to be going through and how to get them the, even if you can't do it, even if that's not your wheelhouse, how to get them to the right resources is, is key. hundred percent. And it's kind of funny what you, know, you just said as far as the, you know, Hey, it doesn't apply. It's not really funny, but it's the truth and reality of it. It's because, you know, within psychology, you know, things that don't apply to us. So for, for instance, we all know that we're going to die at some point, but death is not something that we as human beings focus on and think that it applies to ourselves. So it's why like in the military, that's why individuals that are on the front line as they're going into gunfire and bombs going off and running through IEDs, they're not processing where this applies to me. They're thinking about the poor bastard next to them. Like, oh, man, I hope they don't get shot. They're not mm-hmm. think- it's the whole psychology behind us to where we think things don't apply to us because it's never been recognized. And kind of going mm-hmm. to the point of what you just said about, you know, sometimes the superior saying, hey, just deal with it. A lot of individuals just that say that is because they've had experiences that they've never really even had that opportunity to release themselves. So they really don't even know how to deal with it themselves. And they may need talking to on a real level because they have mental compression and maybe maybe the ones that are bottling and bottling and bottling so many things as well too so it's vital that you know like you just said you know sourcing the top down yeah well and it's funny that you said you know we don't you know we'll run into a burning building or we'll run toward the gunfire and we don't even think twice about it but we're worried about the other people around us and it's because you know we're trained to literally ignore our body's alarm system. We're trained to, you know, our bodies do weird things. That's a lot of what I deal with is, is the physiology of, of the job of our reactions to trauma and our reactions to chronic stress. And so we're trained to ignore that stuff when all these alarm bells are going off saying, don't run into the burning building, don't run toward the gunfire. And so when we have these other things popping up, that are, you know, an, an angry outburst or um, feeling depression or whatever, we're trained to ignore those things, but we can't selectively cut those off. We can't say, eh, I don't like that one. I'm just going to pull that wire. I'm going to pull this wire. You, it, it's a, it's a full system shutdown. 
And we have to be able to get back online and connect the mind and body again. hundred percent. I love the way that you, you know, piece that together and everything too, because you know, the way that I explain it to individuals as well too, that like with fear, it's a safety mechanism that the, the body has. Mm-hmm. And is there a way to train it? Well, there is, but there's not, you know, to where it's kind of like as a baby, you know, fear is non-existent in a sense to where, you know, you don't know heights. You're not afraid to fall until you fall. You don't know something's hot and, you know, how it's going to affect you until you touch that hot stove or something that's hot. Like, oh, okay. Even if you give somebody that warning, hey, don't touch it. It's hot. Well, what's hot means? Ah! <laughs> you right. know, but it, it, it is a psychological thing where, you know, trained on doing certain things, but trained how to do it, you know, it's, that's also the, the key aspect of it. You know, always, you know, because you're trained to take precaution yet, you know, go in. It's kind of like, I don't care what first responder field we're in, you know, when we sign our names on that line, we're putting our, our own lives before that of our fellow brothers and sisters, civilians, or anybody else to where, hey, this is this is what I'm giving. You know, that's another thing that's taken for granted by the civilian sector, you know, but it's, it's so important because of the, just because you were trained, you know, kind of going back to the whole protocol aspect of everything, you know, you're, yeah, you're trained on how to run in there, but how are you trained on that exit? on how to process that. That's the part, the, the key part that's missing to it all. And that's why you need to be in every agency. That's why you know, I, I know you can't be all places at all times, but you know, a program and things like that to where, you know, there are different ways to do proper trainings, especially having that mobile app to where it does make mm-hmm. you nationwide at one time webinars, you know, the technology nowadays has expanded so much to where, you know, individuals that, you know, haven't sought the training, don't know about certain things it's because mm-hmm. of laziness or just because of lack of you know true concern which our superiors it's their jobs to have of how my mm-hmm. how my agency is going to affect at the most efficiency and you know capacity possible you know and it's because you know i'm keeping you know all of my officers or, or you know firefighters you know nurses i don't care what it is i'm keeping them at full capacity mentally and physically you know just mm-hmm. like you know they did away in many many agencies the physical qualification, but there's never been, I mean, yeah, you might do a psyche foul, but some people know how to fool a psyche foul. It's kind of like, you know, the original application, will you draw your firearm and fire on a subject if need be? Yes, we say it just because we know that that's the answer that is gonna progress me forward. Psyche is mm-hmm. the same way, but until someone actually digs in there and we're honest with them as well too, it, it's never gonna be corrected. And that's why it needs to be imposed because you can't ignore something that's mandatory. Right. Well, and, and that's another thing with the app, um, you know, and I will, I will say it, it's <laughs> a lot of what I do is mindfulness methods and tactics. And when, you know, cops, first responders, and when they hear that, they're like, Ooh, that sounds soft, you know? And so they, it's a hard sell because they're like, that just sounds like, hippie stuff. And, you know, I initially, I can see why on the face, it looks that way. Mind, body, spirit, man. Right. (laughs) But, but truly, you know, they think that it's going to soften their edge. And what I can tell you is it actually sharpens your edge because when you can sit down and breathe and connect your mind and your body and be present in the moment, 
your situational awareness goes up, your confidence in your decision-making goes up, you revert right back to that training and you do exactly what you were meant to do. And it increases your mental focus because you have the mental clarity to be in the moment. I mean, there's a reason why in yoga, there's an entire series of movements called the warrior poses, the warrior postures, because warriors did meditation and yoga to prepare to go into battle because it helped them to be present in the moment. And it, it's a hard sell on its face, but when people actually, um, you know, they get the app and they have it on their phone, they get it in their pocket. And the, the people I've found that benefit, um, a lot are like the EMTs when they're going to a call and they already know what they're going to see, right? And they they plug in one little earbud on the way to the call and they hit a breathing exercise and they can calm themselves before they get there. And once they get there, they are just in the moment doing exactly what they're trained to do. And when they get back to the station, they can clear their mind. They grab like a five-minute calming meditation and that is tremendous to be able to be grounded while you're on shift um, because so many of us are just on autopilot because if we dig any deeper, it gets ugly, it gets uncomfortable. And so initially this stuff feels really heavy because there's a lot to unpack, but when you can unpack it and then you can practice consistently mindfulness tactics and techniques, um, it, it literally changes your brain. Uh, the New Jersey Medical School did an eight-week study, and they did before and after MRIs on the brain. Um, so for eight weeks, their their subjects um, practiced consistent mindfulness tactics and techniques, and they actually showed that the amygdala, which is the fight or flight center, um, it shrank. Uh, which is huge because when it's inflamed, people are experiencing anxiety and depression, hypervigilance, things like that. And after eight weeks of solid mindfulness tactics and techniques, their amygdala shrank and the connections between their amygdala and the rest of the brain um, were weakened. Hmm. However, the, the prefrontal cortex got thicker and the the connections between the prefrontal cortex where all of our complex decision making is made um to the rest of the brain all of those connections were bolstered and and strengthened so this stuff i mean it's there's literal science behind it and i think people they see it and they're like oh that sounds that sounds yeah, weird, right. weird, you know yeah, but still, um there's there's real real science behind it so well, I already, I already know, you know, I'm a 100% advocate of everything else too, you know, because I, I feel it's important, you know, especially, you know, taking that moment of self, the you versus you moments, you know, which, you know, you can apply that to, you know, before, I mean, we could do it before roll call every morning, mm -hmm. make it a point to where, I mean, I, I really feel that, you know, you know, if you don't feel like doing the yoga, which is really important part of the meditation, the physical part is, it kind of goes hand in hand with the mental part. But I really believe that it is important that, you know, everyone do it before shift, do it after shift, you know, not just in this career, but, you know, but especially for first responders, you know, because, you know, preparing you mentally for that compression. And it's kind of, it's funny to where, you know, a lot of individuals think that it softens them. So 
you know, like a comedian, Bill Burr was talking about, he made a joke about it, talking about how, you know, that's why women live longer than men, because it's like, you know, men think that they're going to be soft or anything else. If they hug a puppy or say a baby's cute or, you know, want a pumpkin and everything, but it's like, you know, that, that compression of just wanting to hug that puppy or say a baby's cute. It's like, oh, that's going to make me soft and things like that when we live in a hard role, you know, but it, that's the, that's the reality behind it. It's like, mm -hmm. I'm not going to let somebody see me doing yoga or, you know, meditating and things oh, yeah. like that. It's going to make me look weak. And it's that, that mind screw of why it puts you in that situation in the first place. And that's the part that people don't understand is the fact that everything that we're telling ourselves that, hey, this is going to soften me, you know, having your mind at the sharpest is always going to strengthen you. That's why, like, you know, first thing in the morning, the first thing I do before, I mean, outside of using the restroom, is I play a game of chess when my mind's just awakened and I'm sitting here like, you know, I might be still a little groggy. It's the first thing I do is I open my phone, I, I log into my because I have a different chess thing that I do, like for nation worldwide and stuff. But uh, it's the first thing that I do to find out where my mind's at, you know, to see if yeah. I'm at my best. And that's how my little meditation things. You know, I have like white noise that plays and stuff like that for my meditations. But you know, I was always that that fighter of that too. And it was like yoga. You know, what I, mean? <laughs> what do I look like, man. I said, you're seeing some little yoga pants that are stretching out and everything else. But you know, when I finally did, I'm sitting there just you know, holding the pose, all of a sudden my body's sweating from just standing still. It's mm -hmm. insane of like how our mental just flushes out the physicality, how our physical affects our mentalness, mentalness, mental, mental health and everything <laughs> else too. But I mean, it really is amazing. And I, I really feel, and like you just said with that app, that's what make you know, for those guys that don't want others to know that, hey, I'm doing this, it is that ride in the patrol card where it's the, you have that moment for yourself, whether it's going to work or whether it's during you know, especially leaving, you know, a call you just took that may be developing that mental compression where you can't breathe and kind of reflect on what just happened. Because, yeah. you know, as long as you give yourself that time, you know, when you get back to the station or if you have a part, you're going to be able to talk to somebody and say, hey, you know what? I was reflecting this, this one call today affected me. I need to talk about it. Right. You know, and it's, it's that moment of meditation, like you just said, and having that app gives individuals that access to work no matter what they can plug yeah. into it. And it's very discreet. I mean, yeah, you plug your headphones in and it, it, it nobody even knows um, because it just, the video pops up and, and you know, so a lot of them are less than five minutes. So you could go to the bathroom and get yourself calmed down, get your mind right. But it's interesting. You mentioned, um, you know, yoga. And then as you were holding a pose, you, you know, you kind of felt some things happening and what we tend to forget is, um, you know, we experience this trauma and we think it's all up here in our brain, but trauma lives in our body. And I, I don't think people truly understand that, you know, when you experience something traumatic, um, you know, all of that information comes into our brain through our senses in our body. And so our body remembers that stuff. Um, a great, great book by Bessel van der Kock is The Body Keeps the Score. And it is tremendous um, information about how those experiences are remembered by our, our body and our senses, because all five senses can be traumatized. And we kind of take that for granted or we, or we skate over that and we think that it's all up here. And then you get into a, a posture in yoga and you're, you, you start 
sobbing and you're like, what is happening? And it's because something in that posture, some kind of movement, you know, released something within you. And again, I know this sounds like hippie stuff, but it is science. Like it, it releases that energy and, and you, you find that the pressure starts to come off and, you know, and I think crying, you know, also sounds like a very soft thing, but it is, you know, we do it for a reason. Our, our bodies are, are made for that to be a release. And, um, yeah, it's, it's very interesting stuff and it can be a hard sell, but I, I'm willing to go against the grain and, and try to get this stuff out there to people. Well, see, that's the thing like with yoga as well too. And that's why a lot of times yoga works better when you have an instructor, at least in the beginning stages, mm -hmm. if it's your first time doing it, you know, I, I feel maybe an opinion, but I think it's fact that it's always going to be better if you have an instructor that at least guides you in the beginning so that, because like, you know, while you're doing the yoga, the meditation and yoga go hand in hand. So, you know, you're telling, you know, focus on the breathing to where we're not thinking about things to where when we're doing things by ourselves, there's so many distractions, whether it be around us mentally and things like that, that we play in our heads to where, you know, true meditation is just eliminating all of that, that flush to where it gives our bodies, like you just said, that, that healing time doing nothing but just focusing on you know the sound of your own breathing at first and then just focusing on nothing and you could have traffic going on both sides of you you know as you're advanced in it to where you don't even hear that traffic that's all just white noise and you're able to have that personal meditation and just but that's why like yoga with an instructor like yourself or you know doing it in a group because others are doing that you don't have the distraction anymore to where it's the okay hey this everybody's doing this and it keeps you focused on what you're supposed to be doing rather than any kind of outside distractions or saying, okay, hey, I did this enough. They're controlling the time frame that you're holding one pose or that you're just breathing or just sitting, whatever the case may be. So, and then now with that being said, on the app, do you do any of your yoga? How, how does the yoga instructing go? Is that something that is completely separate? Are they able to access that to the app? Or how does someone actually gain the knowledge on that? Or is it just a a pre-recorded video that kind of walks individuals through or how does the whole yoga training work out? So in my agency trainings, there's actually a snippet of trying yoga. We get into a couple of yoga postures. I've had fire chiefs <laughs> doing yoga. And so it just to give them a little bit of experience for themselves, um, because I do run them through practical exercises of breathing and, and meditation and yoga, um, just so they can experience it. Because I can tell you until I'm blue in the face what it feels like, but until you've actually taken the time to try it, you're going to go, yeah, that's a bunch of hooey and, and move along. So um, I do have yoga on the app. Um, I call it mobility so that people don't get bent out of shape about it. But, um, and I actually have an entire, um, I don't know if I can, if you'd be able to see this, but I have, <clears throat> this is the interface of what it looks like. And then there's a whole section that says, that's uh, a mobility library. And so oh, this is mirrored. Okay. So it gives you a mobility library. So if I'm, if you're struggling with a certain posture and you're going, why can't I get in this? Because as first responders were competitive by nature, right? And you think, and so yoga can be quite humbling if you're very, brand new at it because you want you want to do it all 
the right way. Well, there's no right or wrong way to do it because it's your own personal journey. Um, but there's a there's a whole library on there of postures and you know what what is the you know proper angle for your knee in this posture? Um, what are some modifications you can do if your hips don't allow for you to be in this posture? Um, what muscles should be activated? Things like that to dive a little bit deeper. Um, for people that, you know, are, are brand new to it. So there are yoga um, videos and classes on the app. And what's cool about the setup of the app is, um, you know, if you don't want to, if you want to do yoga, but it's a 30 minute session and you don't want to do it from your, your phone, you can actually log on to your account um, on a computer or a smart TV or whatever, just by going to the website and hitting member login. And it t it'll pull it right up so that you can actually watch it on your TV or your computer or whatever. So that's something that's really cool is because is we have that that dual um, modality there. Perfect. You know, it, and it's kind of, you know, funny as well, too, but, you know, doing the yoga and especially with, you know, and I like the mobility aspect of it, too, because, you know, you're going to have those individual yoga you know but you know that's the mobility aspect and especially which it was one of the most ignorant things that they did was doing away with the physical requirements you know for agencies and i don't even see how that could happen you know mm -hmm. but you know with with yoga and things like that it does help with that mobility you know another friend of mine yeah. uh, ray bashirs he runs that blue shield tactical systems and you know they do the de-escalation events you know close quarters tactics and all that stuff too and the mental part is also in there but you know it's a lot of if your body isn't physically able to do that to where you know doing the stretches and doing things like that to where you know your body feels healthier you do feel better and you know sometimes to where you know after doing the poses after holding places to where you know before when you couldn't have that rotation in your arm or that flexion in your knee or anything else like that now you will have that I'm not going to say it's secure. People are like, oh, my God, I can take this brace off and start running again. It's like, <laughs> no, but it, it really can't help with things like that. Though. You know, sometimes, yeah. you know, sore lower backs or sciatica can be done with, you know, just yoga, just stretching yeah. and things like that as well, too. And it kind of goes hand in hand. And, you know, that, that's one of the reasons why I kind of do what I do as well to kind of, you know, find out what one individual, one organization does and kind of introduce them to one another to where, you know, just like we go to different seminars, you know, such as like the 2022 uh, symposium, March 10th and 11th up in Chicago, Illinois, you know, because they, they finally opened it up because, you know, before it was designated for uh, firefighters, you know, now they finally opened it up to law enforcement as well, too. I know Michael Segrill and, you know, some of the others are going to be speaking there as well. But, you know, nice. there's no reason why, like, individuals that go inside agencies can't put programs together to where, you know, if he's inside an agency, you can go to that same agency, have a, and like Christopher Hoyer, he goes inside as well too, to kind of add shop value to where, you know, combining individuals or organizations and what they're doing, because I, I feel that a lot of, and that's why I target certain individuals to bring them on the show. You know, I'll just grab anybody and bring them on here because, you know, what is being done needs to be done and it shouldn't be, I mean, I'm not going to say it should be optional because we do want individuals that feel that they needed to be able to reach out. But I really feel that this needs to be on a mandatory level, just in somebody going to school has a prerequisite course or whatever the case may be. This needs to be implemented into the academy because, you know, we do get that shell about us to where I'm afraid to say that that just bothered me because am I going to be fit for the job? 
am I going to have a superior that tells me just deal with it? You know, I, I'm going to have to be trained on, you know, how to mentally be trained rather than the physical requirements or the book studies or reading a book. You know, I can go read Mark Twain and tell you how certain things feel, but it's the, have I experienced that for myself? You know, so it's just, it needs to be done. And, you know, what you do is amazing and things like that. And like you just said about having those different modalities, again, it goes back to an excuse. If an individual says, well, I didn't know that I could do it like this, well, it's an excuse. You know, it's the, well, you didn't have to have your phone. You could have watched it on TV or pulled over your computer at your office or whatever the case may be. You know, yeah. pull up on your computer and go, you know, sit there, sit at a stoplight, yeah. go to a park. You know, it's the, I know some, you know, brothers and sisters that, you know, the little break that they take, they'll just go to a park in nature. That's a perfect time to do it too. And just kind of oh, open yeah. your app up and kind of just play it in the background. Just to, you know, we have to take that time for ourselves to kind of let that mental compression go or, you know, make a call to someone else that can listen. Yeah, and, absolutely. And I think too, the agency trainings, you know, when you can get an entire shift, because usually, you know, you can't get everybody at the same time. So we do it by shift usually, and you get an entire shift in a room and then everybody is hearing the same thing. Everybody's hearing about lifting the veil of the shame and everybody's hearing about the statistics behind, you know, chronic stress, burnout, officer, you know, suicidal ideation, things like that. And then they start to look around and they start to see their coworkers as human and just them all being in the same room, hearing the same things allows them to open the door to each other later on down the road. So if, if six months from that training, something happens and they can refer back to that and go, you know what, that girl might've had a point. And then they're able to open up and willingly talk about what they're going through or, or ask their buddy if they're okay, then that's pure gold for me. I mean, just opening that door. A hundred percent. You know, another thing with that as well too, to where, you know, a lot of times in humanizing the badge or any kind of like first responder field, but I mean, specifically right now with like law enforcement, especially. Okay. So, you know, a lot of times we focus on trying to humanize the badge to the civilian sector to where we don't try to humanize that within our own agency within our own, you know, who I ride with every day, you know, to really doing that buddy check, you know, not just the, Hey man, how you doing today? All of a sudden if you started breaking down and look at my watch or, Oh, Hey, we got to go take this call real quick. You done? You know, it's a, yeah. do, are we really asking someone, how are you doing with that true wanting to have them release? You know, or are they just saying, Hey, I'm fine. And you accept that. Or are you like, well, you know, are you really fine? You know, I've been noticing you know, kind of just, you know, the, the head down moments and things like that, lack of focus, because it's it's important too. And, I, and that's what I don't really, that's what's hard for me to swallow, hard for me to understand, because if I have a partner with me that I'm not asking if they're okay mentally and they're responsible for backing me up, and then I have an officer involved shooting or I'm chasing a subject and their, their mind's not in the game, yeah, that's going to affect me myself it's going to affect the outcome of you know whatever call i may be on and things like that as well so that's why i can't understand how you know a brother or sister couldn't ask another how they're doing or being able to have that recognition but again the reason that happens is because of the s on the chest or because it's not spoken about it's because individuals don't want to say hey it applies to me it's because individuals think that i'm not soft i'm not doing yoga i'm not going to meditate i'm not going to talk about this you know I'll be okay. I'll go read a book or watch a movie tonight. But it's the, mm -hmm. all of a sudden when you're talking to them and you dig back 10 years before, 
that's really what's bothering him. It isn't the case that they yeah. just, the, the, the call that they just took. It was yeah. like what happened 10 years ago. Like you, like you said earlier, I mean, it's, it's spot it, on. But not everybody, you know, has the ability or the, or this, the communication skills to deal with what they might be, what that can of worms that they might be opening. So they might be very apprehensive to say, Hey, are you really okay? Because if that person turns around and says, no, I'm not, then they're going to go, Oh crap. I don't know what to do with this. You know? And then, then it's like a hot potato. Um, but part of my agency trainings is literally, you know, we, we go through different ways to ask and communicate with our buddies and say, you know, of course, if somebody says, Hey man, how you doing? Or, Hey man, you good? What is their answer going to be? Yeah, I'm good because that's what we do. That's just our cultural norms. Like we just do it to be polite, but there's a way to ask, you know, open-ended questions like, hey, that call was really hard. How are you doing? How are you holding up? Hey, that shift sucked. Um, You want to go talk about it? Like, do you want to? And I know again, that sounds a little soft, but, but we have to talk about these things. We can't just scatter like cockroaches and all isolate and pretend that, that these things aren't bothering us. Um, so that's another thing that I, I hit on in the agency trainings is, is how to open those conversations and how to continue the conversation instead of just dropping it and being like, okay, I got to go grab lunch, you know? <laughs> yes. Well, it's, it's, it's vital. It really is vital because, and especially in a group setting, because it's, it's, um, there's, there's a, there's a good and there's bad in like the group settings, because if I'm up there and I'm saying, you know, officer Luzani, you know, have you taken a call that affected you to where you seen something that you really kind of weren't ready for? If you're doing that in a group setting, like, oh, no, you know, they've all kind of been the same, but you're going to have that one individual that breaks down all of a sudden. Everybody else sees that, well, hey, I've, I've dealt with this too. You know, it's kind of why, like, it's why the AAs and NAs work for some people. It doesn't, it's not, it's not a fix for all, but sometimes that, that vulnerability that we expose of ourselves and others seeing that, where you know I could, I could have the highest arrest rate most convictions whatever the case may be but it's the you know and me having that vulnerability and exposing that and others be like oh you're just some hard ass you know just you're always just so brash about everything but it's the you know showing that it's okay to not be okay sometimes you know to where that group setting at least telling them hey these are ways of doing that but you know you know the flip side of that is actually you know engaging and forcing it or again, like uh, Officer Rosani, you know, what, and instead of asking, you know, have you taken a call? What call have you taken that sticks with you today? There it is. Yeah. And, and, and they're going to be like, oh, I, none that I can think of. And you, you're going to, again, and that's why I like the whole, I love the fact that, you know, you've done the whole behavior, the criminal, you know, advocate and everything else, or criminal justice aspect of it, because, you know, understanding those mannerisms, the shift in the seat, you know, people being put on spot, you know, and the stuttering of the words or the, oh, no, everything's been fine. A call was a call. But, the, you know, asking that specific question, not saying, have you had a case, but, well, you know, which, which call have you taken or which calls have you taken that still sit with you today or you felt hard to deal with and you kind of still, you know, because we're all going to experience some type of self-blame, you know, especially if 
You know, oh, yeah. we took a call and we couldn't resuscitate, which I don't understand why every law enforcement officer is not taking resuscitation uh, courses. You know, that's, that's going to be another show that I do with Brandon Griffith where, you know, he goes around and he does resuscitation talks. But, you know, why are we not trained on how to resuscitate someone? You know, and it, it just goes a long way to where, you know, you finally realize and you put on spot. Like, oh, shit, you know, this really is, you know, needs to be dealt with. Yeah. Um, it's it's something that we need to shift the standard on. And I think that, you know, part of that is getting rid of the stigma. But we we also need to realize that, you know, the, the humanizing of the badge needs to start within. It needs to start with us as individuals looking at ourselves and saying, hey, I'm human. And, you know, that, you know, inability to resuscitate or whatever, that's not on me. That that was that person's time. Like this was, you know, we need to work on forgiving ourselves, forgiving others, just being more kind to ourselves. Self-talk is everything. And when, as law enforcement, you know, we spend our days with people who just talk crap to us all day long, right? Especially corrections officers have it the worst, in my opinion, as far as that goes. But, um, you know, those voices get stuck in there and they get on a loop. And sometimes we start to believe them and then we start to question our own self-worth. We question our own abilities and that stuff really starts to affect our, our behaviors and, and the way that we operate in this world. And we have to be proactive in building up our own mindset. Um, you know, we think about 60,000 thoughts a day on average and there have been studies that sh have shown that like 75% to 80% of those thoughts are negative. But they're the same repetitive thoughts that we had yesterday. And they're the same crap thoughts that we're going to have tomorrow. And so we have to be proactive in breaking that cycle and creating those new pathways in our brain um, to really give us a, a new perspective on, on our lives and, and giving us a fresh outlook on how things can be. 100%. And I'm glad you just brought up about corrections officers and things like that as well. Because as law enforcement officer, you know, the subjects that we run into, you know, someone that otherwise wouldn't be polite, maybe being polite just to kind of get through what's going on right now. They'll comply right now just to kind of not make things worse. Oh, yeah. But they what, placate. <laughs> yeah. But when, yeah. When, once, once somebody's incarcerated, you know, I mean, what are you going to do? Put me in a hole or is it going to take away privilege? They deal with so much and kind of going back, what we were talking about earlier, the psychology behind it to where, you know, a corrections officer, I mean, we can do it as, you know, as law enforcement officers, it's being done as well too, to where, you know, you start building up that, that hard ass mentality to where, you know, I'm not going to take this from, you know, any of the different inmates. Well, what happens through time is you're developing that new personality, those new characters, you know, are you taking that home with you? You know, is your yeah. family, your spouse, your loved one, your kids now being exposed to the brutality that your personality, your characteristics have now developed into, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, how many individuals are able to have that on off switch to be able to delegate between, you know, this is what I have to be at work and this is what I have to be when I come home because, you know, you can't be, you know, 
Billy Go Jolly all the time, like, oh, yeah, hey, no, 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 no. fine day today in the neighborhood, kids, you know, but it's the, when you're walking into a, uh, you know, correctional facility, but, you know, it's the, you know, how far does it go? Because I've, I've seen it, I mean, I've, firsthand, to where this, mm-hmm. you know, you start developing that, that brash attitude and not dealing with things, all of a sudden, you know, you're lashing out at a loved one, significant other, your own kids, or whatever the case may be, even fellow brothers and sisters with you. You know, to where that's why it's so important to have this talk, to be able to have that on-off switch, that compression, well, decompression rather, at mm-hmm. some point. I mean, it, it needs to be spoken about because if individuals don't know that it can happen or that it's okay to say that it's happening to them, it's just like with rape. You know, people are going to get pissed off that I just combine these two together, but, you know, ha- having some kind of mental compression on the job and having that PTS is no different than an individual being raped because realistically, if you're handling a call and you decide not to talk about that, you've just raped yourself of any kind of happiness or you being able to make that progression that you know you deserve and that you really need. You're raping mm-hmm. yourself. And it's you know, people are like, oh my god, you're taking this out of cup. But it's that's the reality of it. I mean, that's that's what I look at it as, is to where you know we rape ourselves of that happiness that we deserve. We you know, we take it away from anything else we're killing ourselves literally you know to where you know it's affecting our body because like you just said earlier you know stress and depression a lot of times that's why a lot of individuals wrinkle early you know gain weight and there's so many different things that physically is affected by you know our mental structure our mental capacity and the things that we bottle in and you know what's stored up there in the front you know but mm-hmm. it's it's important i'm glad you brought up about the correctional officers because you know just like with dispatchers you know they may they're taking a call, have someone frantic on the other end, meanwhile trying to keep them and maintain them, collecting enough information to provide to you, fire, EMT, or whoever has to be uh, dispatched. Mm-hmm. But they don't get the resolve on was that life saved? What happened? Mm-hmm. You know, it's the, and they have to have that decompression. You know, so how many times are they included in like what you do as far as the agency training? You know, does dispatch coming in a, that, oh, well, instead of asking it as a rhetorical, so how many of your programs are dispatch able to attend? Or would that be like one of the, the one-on-one situations to where they kind of reach out for, you know, one-on-one with you? Well, it depends on the agency because some agencies have dispatch in-house and some agencies, you know, their dispatch is at a, a 911 center or something. Um, so it really depends on the agency and, and how they're structured. Um, but dispatchers are absolutely included in the category of occupations that I would coach um, because, you know, they, they are the first first responders and they're hearing al- almost always, they're hearing it in real time. Um, there's no delay and they're, you know, our brain does something really crazy when we're only hearing something because our brains have to make sense of things, right? We have to process. And so I can only imagine what their mind comes up with as far as images to go with the sounds that they're hearing. And it's probably far worse than it actually appears to be um, because our, our brains just go to worst case scenario most of the time. And so I can only imagine, you know, what they deal with as far as it being unknown and as far as what their brain comes up with. Um, My house is on fire. Only they got a stove fire. Right, right. 
And because, and because you know, when somebody has an emergency, they're in a panic. And so it's going to sound probably a lot worse than it really is. Um, and that prop that, you know, to a, to a non-first responder, I'm sure that sounds terrible, but to most first responders, we're like, well, okay. Cause we thought we were going into this situation and it's not that bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so comparatively, but yeah, um, dispatchers, I think are, are often kind of an afterthought. And, mm-hmm. and I think that that is, uh, wrong. Well, their mental wellness is actually the most important because if you have that dispatcher that has a mental compression or they're just tired of it, you know, yep. how delayed are they going to be on actually dispatching? You know, how serious are they going to take the calls? Or, you know, if one kind of going back to that situation where somebody's like, oh, my, my house is on fire and they're just being frantic where they got a stove grease fire, you know, just mm-hmm. and they're just flaming on their stove to where is the, and you're like, oh, I, I had, boy, that cried wolf, you know, mm-hmm. do they let that stuff build up on, on their effectiveness of the job and things like that? And they're one of the most important ones because, you know, if somebody's had, you know, three prior heart attacks and they didn't obtain that information or they mm-hmm. got to, or, or they have a, uh, they have a pacemaker and things like that that we can't use a defibrillator on you know there's so many different factors of like the collecting of the data and things like that to where if their mental mm-hmm. wellness isn't there and their, their head's not in the game it could affect yeah. their safety because if there's you know three armed individuals inside a home and you're just called to a domestic dispute like you know they were just having words and you get to now somebody's armed just because mm-hmm. they didn't collect that data now they put your life in jeopardy other brothers and sisters' lives in jeopardy, or those in that home at jeopardy. Yeah, and I've I've had that. Um, I've I've had that situation almost to to a T. That there was there was a firearm involved. It was fired, um, but I it <clears throat> I got dispatched to an unwanted subject, <laughs> and and I, I, you know all that other information wasn't relayed because the dispatcher hung up on the individual on the caller, um, yeah. but things that we don't think about, even just little nuances that can affect a scene as a whole, um, is, you know, they, they're the first contact that that citizen has with our agency. They're also the first bit of information that we have about the call that we're going to. So they, they set the tone for the entire thing. So if their tone is um, brash with the caller and the person being dispatched, what do you think that's going to be like when those two people finally connect? Probably not great, <laughs> you know, but it, but if they can stay calm and it, you know, and ensure that citizen that, you know, help is coming, we're, we're doing our best. We're trying to get them there. They're on their way. You know, it, it could, it could really set the tone for the entire experience. 100%. 911, what's your emergency? Okay, what calm hold on, calm down, calm down. What's what's going on? You know, it's the you know that, yeah. that connectivity is so important where you know you have to show that you actually concern towards them because mm-hmm. you know, especially today, you know, with all the bitterness towards you know, people thinking that law enforcement's you know out to harm people rather than protect and serve in the communities which we serve, you know, it's people calling in. Some people don't even want to call in then all of a sudden they get a dispatcher that doesn't even want to have a conversation because they're you know it's but it affects it on a large scale you know for you know the person even wanting the help 
Same things like battered women. You know, why do they stop calling on whoever it is? It's like people don't take it serious and things like that. It's the, hey, I need help, but you know, it's vital. So, and now when it comes to individuals, how does the time frame work out? Do they just schedule it? Is there certain times of the day that you're able to set aside and have you know the one-on-one life coaching, or is it you know based on their schedule, or you know what kind of availability? do you provide to an individual that may need that one-on-one, whether it be the life coaching or, you know, just reaching out for any of the other programs? Um, well, I, I mean, I work around the clock pretty much, <laughs> but um, as far as availability goes for uh, actual sessions, usually during the day is best because I, I have a toddler that likes to run around and then he gets our dogs really riled up and that's not really conducive to like a deep meaningful conversation <laughs> so um but yeah with my one-on-ones you know we set up um like hour-long calls uh once a week and then like i said we do i do the daily check-ins i use an app called voxer um so i can it's like a walkie-talkie app almost so we can go back and forth and they can hear my voice um i think that that is so important it, it it's so much more um meaningful than just in text. You know, they can hear the encouragement in my voice. They can hear my conviction when I tell them things are going to get better. Things are going to be all right. Um, and then I can hear them too. I can hear, you know, if if their voice is cracking, if they're choking up, if they're, um, you know, having a rough day and their energy is low. And um, so that's all very important. And then you know, I do it on a month to month basis. And, you know, my goal for a lot of coaches, I think their goal is client retention. But for me, I, I think like a three or four month max is, is perfect. You know, if, if you need more than that to unpack, absolutely. Like I'm open to it, but I really want to impress upon people that they have the power within themselves to get better. Um, it doesn't mean that you maybe aren't going to need somebody to guide you through that. You know, some of the best, um, you know, mountain climbers in the world, if they're trekking a um, unknown territory or a territory that they're not familiar with, they hire a guide. And I think that it's so important that we know that sometimes it's important to learn from others who have been there and, you know, gain insights from their experience so that we can then do the same for ourselves. And that's what I, I want to impress upon people is that they can do it for themselves. Um, they may just need a little, a little bit of bolstering along the way. 100%. You know, it, it kind of goes into like, and what you said as well too, where you listen to them because that's the key aspect too, because, you know, sometimes individuals are going to say things or sometimes it's the mannerisms physically but you know at least being able to hear their voice you're going to see the the change in tone or you know them kind of sway away from the conversation or you know redirect the conversation the same thing that goes in with your, your other training as well too to where you know that attentiveness on you know whether it's suicide awareness or just mental uh mental health awareness you know being able to truly listen you know and because sometimes individuals give out little clues and we just let it slide past where they've been telling us their whole lives that they've had a problem, yeah. but we've just never really caught on to what they were saying or that redirection to where, you know, they didn't want to talk about certain things every time it came up, you know, so that attentive listening 
is always going to find, you know, the best avenue on what kind of help this individual really may need, you know? Yeah. So that's vital as well too. Like you would, you know, the agencies should have a, a listen to your active listening course. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't have one, but maybe I'll develop one. Well, it's still, um, it's still but, part of everything that you do that are yes. you know, being able to pay attention to individuals to where, you know, the only way to really do that is active listening and whether you're listening with your eyes or your ears or both, you know, so. And isn't it interesting that, you know, if we get in an interview room with a suspect, we're paying attention to all of that. We're noticing all the little nuances. We're noticing when they take a big gulp and, and you know, swallow their, their words. And, and we notice when they're itching their face and they're doing all these things. And we don't see that in each other. Mm-hmm. We don't take the time to look and say, mm, that person's not okay. And I think sometimes with the coaching, um, I, I force people to look at themselves because those, you know, so many times in law enforcement, we mask things by using humor and it's often, you know, gallows humor, but we use humor, but there's always a little bit of truth to it. And when somebody, you know, where it will be in the middle of a session and they make a joke and I'll go, whoa, 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 what was that about? And they go, oh, I was just joking around. Mm-hmm. Let's dissect that. And and when you can take a moment and then they go, oh my gosh, what did you, like, what just happened? Like, you're, you're spot on, but how did you figure that out? And I'm like, I just questioned it. We just have to start questioning things sometimes to get to the core of the issue to actually heal and process. Because if we're just skating over it, we're not getting anywhere. 100%. You know, and a good point to that as well, too. Like, with the, the, a lot of us use humor, you know, try to laugh to mask the tears and things like that. You know, that's why it was, it was a big shock to a lot of people about Robin Williams. But I use this example because when you look back on that and you look at the truth behind everything, he only took on roles that had a humor behind certain things that were really crushing him inside. You know, to where, you know, we wear smiles a lot of times to mask the tears. Being attentive on that, like you just said, like, the, oh, what was that, you know, what was that little joke about? You know, is that something that's really, oh, yeah, ha, 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 and, and try to drift away. But it's mm-hmm. that, that instant moment to where everything else was serious, but now you want to joke about this one moment. This is the key part that's really bothering you and stuff. So, yeah. Perfect. And I know I don't try to, you know, completely psychoanalyze people, but I just encourage them to get really, really honest with themselves um, because I think that's something that is often uncomfortable and scary, but very, very necessary. 100%. And then, so how do agencies book with you? Do they, I mean, I, I know that, you know, online it's the lifesaverwellness.com, <laughs> they can go on there and get everything. So is that how agencies do that? Or is there different promotions that can be done to where, you know, agencies are exposed to, you know, what it is that you do? You know, unless an agency's looking for something, so how do we force this in there? You know, so how does that happen? The best way, honestly, is just to go to um, my website at lifesaverwellness.com. It's, you know, scrolling on the bottom. And there's a tab that says beat the burnout. And then uh, if they click on that and then they'll see the agency trainings page under there um, and go there and just fill out, you know, it's basic, very basic information, who the contact person is, um, what they're looking for. Um, and then I contact them and 
you know, I go through like, how many individuals do you have? Um, how many sessions would you need? And then I build a quote off of that. So it's, you know, it, each, each one is a little bit different, um, but just that initial uh, filling out that little form that can uh, right away, you know, it gets goes straight to my email and, and then we can start having a conversation about it. Perfect. That's what makes it nice too, being able to customize that towards like, you know, however many officers are attending and things like that as yeah. well too. Now with your mobile app, is that both on Google Play and on the iStore? Yep. To download? Okay, perfect. Yeah. And, and the, the way that... <clears throat> it's it's just lifesaver wellness. Okay. Um, and with that, you actually have to go to the website first um, and and make that that app purchase, and then it guides you to create the account, and then you can just log in after you've downloaded it, um, and you've got full access. And then uh, same way with logging in on the website. Perfect. Thank you so much. Is there um, are there any other topics that you want to kind of bring up that I didn't touch on that you want? the viewers to know about or the listeners to hear about? No, I think, I mean, gosh, we covered a lot. <laughs> I think honestly, I just really encourage people to start talking about this more because we are truly stronger together. And, and when we start to um, kind of create this like big safety net, we can really start to catch people that we're currently missing in the blind spots. Um, so you know, we just really need to turn up the volume on these kind of conversations. hundred percent. And, you know, Amanda, thank you so much for, you know, your past service that kind of led into this service. And it's the, at least following your passion, you know, one step to the next and things like that. I really feel that, you know, you found your niche in this, you know, market and things like that as well. I don't want to call it a market, but it really is. It's smashing the stigma and things like that because, you know, without the awareness and without us pushing ways to overcome that and saying things like that, we're all just going to keep building shells around ourselves and everything else too that are eventually going to crack. So, you know, thank you for everything you have done and you continue to do. And, you know, I implore everyone to reach out, you know, to Amanda, to lifesaverwellness.com. You know, to reach out and kind of, you know, book it for your agency. And if you're listening to this and you feel it would be beneficial for you, your brothers, sisters, you know, within an agency, suggest it to your superiors that it's brought in as well, too. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm I'm humbled and honored to have found, you know, that that I got that lightning bulb moment um, or more like a lightning bolt um, <laughs> when it was just like, this is how I need to serve my people this is this is a new and different way for me to give back and um i'm so grateful awesome you know so, sometimes blessings come as lightning bolts or that that big stone <laughs> that little knockdown but you know it's the you know finding the finding the, the beauty in you know tragedies sometimes and things like that to where you know sometimes finding that it's what others need as well too so again yeah. i thank you so much for actually you know continuing on and fighting through you know, any struggles that you've had, I mean, you've dealt with a lot and, you know, lots of people on your plate and, you know, you've found means to overcome that and, you know, so many others are blessed now that you're actually providing them an opportunity to know how to deal with their own, you know, traumas, tragedies or everything on their plate and, you know, kind of flush it out with the, the yoga and meditation things as well, too, to get their mind right as well, too. So, you're yeah. a true blessing and, you know, thank you so much for your time today, Amanda. Keep doing what you're doing and stay safe and stay blessed in all things, huh? Hey, thank you. Always. All right. Take Thank care. Bye-bye.